But um, first off, I want to uh, acknowledge that today is uh, Trayvon Martin's uh, would-be 24th birthday. Um, and just want to acknowledge that and, and, and send, send his, his family, uh, his spirit love. And um, in acknowledgement of it, I kind of want to like just look at, you know, where we are today and how uh, that law, the Stand Your Ground law, has been manipulated um, and been used to, you know, that's a form of white supremacy. I mean, you look at the Stand Your Ground law and, and you can look at it in Florida. And this is what I'm going to talk about just for a little bit. And see the discrepancy between um, black people that use the stand your ground law as a defense and white people that use stand your ground law as a, as a defense, you know, because what, what happens with the stand your ground law, if you kill someone, you can, you know, if the po police show up, say, oh, I felt threatened, stand your ground. Legally, they're not supposed to arrest you. So if you see a lot of like, uh, um, uh, when you see a lot of people that... Uh, say, you know, I was standing my ground, they won't get arrested initially, you know, and, and then you'll go to court and things like that. And then the judge will then determine, okay, was he standing his ground or will we charge him for murder? And he has to go to trial. And that's kind of what happens. And so in Florida, it, it, there's a, a distinct discrepancy against, um, when it comes to black people claiming to stand your ground law versus, uh, white people. Um, claiming the stand your ground law and uh, I want to kind of read this article right here uh, on frontline and it's you guys can see it it reads uh, so it says um, there's a clear racial bias in the stand your ground law and all this kind of uh, talks about the stand your ground law you know the, uh, the Florida killing of Trayvon Martin an unarmed black man this is actually published and um, 2012. This is 2012, then I have an update for you guys. But the Florida killing of Trayvon Martin, an unarmed black teenager earlier this year, has brought national attention to the laws that allow people to use lethal force to defend themselves. At least 20 states, it's way more states than that right now, at least 20 states have the law with provisions that don't require civilians to flee from the intruder before before fighting back, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. Of those, eight states, all of them in the South, specifically use the phrase, stand your ground, that includes Florida. So, since Martin's killing George Zimmerman invoked the stand your ground law defense, these laws have been defended by gun right groups for empowering civilians. They're also been criticized by civil rights groups for encouraging violence and being racially biased. So I'm going to skip all the way down because this is kind of what I want you guys to see. So Roman is, is, uh, is, is the person who also um, did, this, did the uh, survey and was doing the study on this. So Roman also found that the Stand Your Ground Law tends to track the existing racial discrepancies in homicides convic homicide convictions across the U.S. Without the significant exception, whites who kill blacks in stand your ground states are more likely to be found justified in their killings. In non-stand your ground states, whites are 250% more likely to be found justified in killing a black person than a white person who kills another white person. Okay, so let me read that again so you guys can get it. So, so in a non-stand-your-ground states, whites are 250% more likely to be found justified in killing a black person than, white, than a white person who kills another white person. In the stand-your-ground states, the number jumps to 354%. 354% of whites are more likely to be found justified in a homicide when they use the stand your ground uh, argument than black people are. 354%. You can see the breakdown of the killings in the chart below. The figures represent the percentage likelihood that the deaths will be found justified in comparing white on white killings, which 
was the baseline for Romans' use of comparison. So if you guys look at this, you'll be able to see it. So right now, you guys see, so black is for all, which is, you know, uh, and then the purple is stand your ground law. So if you see right here, it says a black killing a black person. They are negative, negative in each state, negative, whatever, 25%, look like 20, 30%, 5%. Like, yo, they always get convicted. If it's a black on black, whether it's a stand your ground state, not stand your ground state, or all the above, you know. If it's a black killing the white, same circumstance, you guys can see it. Just, it's, that's amazing, right? White killing black, look at this. So you see the racial divide. Now, this is statistics. These are things that people have been convicted with the trial on and been convicted on and been justified on and been cleared of murder. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And been cleared of murder. So you see, and if you can see here, these are all the states that have the stand your ground law. So all the states in red has some draft, some form of the stand your ground law. Mind you, the stand your ground law was a law drafted by, um, I forgot her name, but she uh, works for the NRA. It was drafted by her and sponsored by Alec, which is funded by the Koch brothers. So if you look here, you see these are all the states. Now, now you see this is way more than 20 states. That, are, that, that has some form, some draft of the stand your ground law. You can see at the bottom that it has some form of a draft of the stand your ground law. Uh, recently, there is um, a guy that is uh, a police officer that is using the stand your ground law as a defense right now. What he's saying is uh, this, this police officer killed a black guy this police officer killed a black man while he was sitting, waiting for a tow truck. And I don't think this clip has the recording on it, but thank God he was on the phone with the tow company. And the tow company has the recording, got the recording. They have it in the courts as he is being shot. And you see that the... Um, police officer was lying when he said the guy was approaching him. So now the police officer was trying to use the stand your ground law as a defense. Now this is a plain clothes police officer as well. So, so mind you, black guy on the side of the, of the road waiting for the tow truck and un, a, a, a police officer who looks like just a regular person, no uniform, approaches him. And try to ask him what is he doing. It ends up killing this guy. This actually just happened. Uh, it's still being processed right now. I just want you guys to, to see uh, the clip. Well, today a fired Florida police officer was charged in the fatal shooting of a 31-year-old man who was stranded on a highway in the middle of the night last October. The victim was armed legally. Prosecutors say the actions of the plainclothes cop in Palm Beach Gardens were grossly negligent. Here's David Begno. Corey Jones died waiting for help. Last October, the South Florida drummer's vehicle broke down. He was on the phone with roadside assistance when Officer Newman Raja, wearing no badge and in casual clothes, pulled up and confronted him. That's according to cell phone transcripts released today. Raja, you good? Jones, I'm good. Really? Yeah, I'm good. Moments later, get your hands up. Get your hands up. Hold on. Get your hands up. Drop. At that point, Raja fired three shots. He later claimed Jones pulled his gun. Raja fired three additional shots, one second apart as Jones ran away. The grand jury today found that the use of force by Mr. Raja was unjustified. David Ehrenberg is the state's attorney. This office has charged Mr. Raja with two counts. One count of manslaughter by culpable negligence and one count of attempted first-degree murder with a firearm. The arrest report says at no time did Raja ever identify himself as a police officer. 
nor was he wearing a police vest, even though his supervisor had ordered him to do so. One of those bullets passed through Corey Jones' heart and lungs. His family said today this arrest sends a message that this conduct will not be tolerated from members of law enforcement. No comment tonight from the fired officer's legal team. Scott, that affidavit makes it very clear. Corey Jones never fired his loaded weapon, which he had just purchased three days before he was killed. And the officer could face up to life in prison. David Begno on the story for us tonight. David, thank you. But yeah, this is something that happened in 2016. And it's been prolonged and pushed back. Uh, uh, the defense kept changing their argument. Um, they went that they went initially for that he uh, the guy uh, tried to attack him and it was a stand your ground law and he was trying to use stand your ground and mind you um, what's what's amazing about this law now public officials don't have the same rights as citizens when they're in their uh, public like and when they're in their like capacity as a public official they don't have the same rights right uh, and he's trying to use, and he was trying to use the stand your ground law because he was in plain clothes and I think they were doing something else. So that was that was why he was trying to actually use the stand your ground law. And so you can see that nothing's really nothing's really changed from that. You have more states now that has adopted the stand your ground law that allows people to just, you know, the stand your ground law. The law says if you, you know, the, the perception is all on the person that has the gun, which is problematic in itself, right? We're saying that if you yourself, without anyone else, um, perceive that you're in danger, then you have the right to stand your ground and use lethal force. You know what I mean? So if, what if I just don't, I'm scared of black people because of whatever, or I'm scared of Hispanics because of whatever, you know, whatever perception I have of them, or, or Muslims, you know, because of whatever, and just because they're approaching me now, I feel threatened and I can shoot them and use the stand your ground law. There's a great, a good documentary on um, HBO. I think it's called Three and a Half Seconds. And it talks about another kid that was shot and killed because he was playing his music too loud in Florida. And the guy used the stand your ground law. It actually worked. He went to trial. They did stand your ground law. There was an appeal. And now he's in jail for life. But yeah, they, used, they tried to use that defense. And a lot of people try to use the defense. And you see that how the defense works and the discrepancies on that defense based on your color or based on you being in law enforcement. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Zigerman's father was a judge and because they have the bias in, in law enforcement as well, you know, I, I, to me, I feel you can be black, white, Chinese or whatever as a police officer. If you're trained in a corrupt system, you're corrupt. You're racist because it trains you to be racist. It trains you to profile people based on how they look and suspect them of being a suspect based on how they look. They, they train you. So you don't have to be black, white. You don't have to be white. You, as a police officer, you can be any color. If you're trained under that system, you're trained in a racist system, a bigoted system that targets people, then you are that. Period. Point blank. Period, point blank. And that's a form of white supremacy. You got to understand what white supremacy is. We adopt white supremacy. You know what I mean? The idea of it, you want, it's, it's, it's almost like assimilation. When it's, when it's a part of a culture and it's a part of a way of living, we start then to adapt that thing. And rather it's, it's black people, you know, black Christians or something, putting it on the L, uh, LGBTQ community, that's adopt, adapting that, saying, no, you're less than because. That's what the idea of it. White supremacy doesn't mean you're white, right? I mean, it, come, it came from that, but it doesn't mean you're white. Just as the example that I used the other day about what happened with uh, JFK during um, the, the 1960 election when he, went, when he had to go talk to all these... E e uh, evangelicals to convince them that he's not going to be doing the work of the Pope because he was Catholic, Irish Catholic. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm talking about. So don't be confused and, 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 and think. I'm talking about an ideology, okay? An ideology, all right? So don't, don't be distracted by the word white supremacy, right? It's ideology. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying the majority 
of people that adopt, ad, uh, adopted is white. It came from that. But it, it's an idea that one thing is better than another. And, and for that reason, we can, you know, subjugate you. Right? But anyway, um, I just wanted to touch on that and, and just give, say what's up, give my respects to Trayvon Martin and anyone that has to deal with this unlawful law uh, that is definitely biased um, toward uh, white people. I saw, uh, I think it was um, Anderson Cooper, 360, and um, Cornell West was on there. And he kind of, he said something that I want you guys to hear and I want to like have some dialogue about, you know, he, you know, he, he addressed obviously the issue of Ralph Nader, what he needs to do, but he got into a broader context of white supremacy, um, you know, because white supremacy is not, um, it's not directed or it's not, you know, primarily in, you know, we think white supremacy, we think Ku Klux Klan outfits, we think, um, you know, uh, uh, hanging and lynching and, and segregation and slavery and, and those things. But, but the, he talks about it in the context of everything that's, he's talking about everything that minimizes or marginalizes groups, you know, uh, L, L, the LGBT community, um, women, uh, anything that marginalized Palestine, you know, he, he kind of gives it, put it, puts it in a larger context of how we need to battle that. Like the way, like it shouldn't, it's easy to look at someone in a Klan outfit and, and, and blackface and say, oh, you're not right. You're racist. That's an easy thing. But it's not easy to call out racism when you see um, a country being, you know, occupied and oppressed or when you see um, uh, 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 someone uh, that's of, of the LBGTQ, LBGTQ community um, being harassed or, you know, beat and things like that. You know, when you the obvious is easy. You don't need heart to do the obvious, but the hard work is when you can look underlined and he, he kind of put uh, moderate Democrats on blast saying, you know, you guys voted him in office. Why? Um, uh, Bernie Sanders went and uh, sponsored, you know, the guy that was running against them, you know, during the primary. I mean, not during the primary, but yeah, during the primary. Like there was a progressive candidate that you guys didn't even look at, but you voted him in the office. Like what did that? And now you guys trying to get him out because this overtly like you didn't see that before. And you had Angela Rye also brought up the fact that, um, you know, I guess they have sample ballots before a, a candidate runs and how Ralph Nader didn't put his black uh, lieutenant governor on the ballot, on a sample ballot. You know what that what does that say about who that man is? And that's kind of what he was saying. He said black money said gentrification is something harder to talk about, you know, the compli the 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 the. Uh, what happens because of gentrification or, or what happens when gentrification happens, the process and how it pushes out uh, poor people and specifically poor people of color. Like those things are not addressed at all, really. No one really talks about gentrification uh, in Congress and things like that. That's something that you really don't want to touch because it's, it, you know, it's not blackface. It's not something you can just see and go against. Like that doesn't take courage to go against blackface is kind of what the guy was saying. I did say Ralph Northam. Did I say Ralph Nader? My bad, Ralph Northam. Joining us now is Cornell West, professor uh, of the practice of public philosophy at Harvard University and professor emeritus at Princeton. Dr. West, it's go, uh, always good to have you. Should the governor resign? Well, I think that um, he has a very weak argument in staying, and so I think he probably does have to go. But I think we've got to put this in a larger context, my brother that the ugly legacy of white supremacy takes a number of different forms. The Klan's one form, blackface is another, decrepit housing's another, poverty rates disproportionately black, brown, and red's another, unemployment, underemployment's another. When we talk about white supremacy, we can't just fetishize one individual and then trash that individual. It's too easy. It's too self-righteous. It doesn't take too much courage to come down on somebody who's 
who's in blackface and wants to dance like Michael Jackson or ends up with this on this page, whether it's him or not, and that's still important fact, unfortunately, he is a product of this vicious white supremacist culture, and he can change. He does not have to be a racist for life. He can end up being a strong anti-racist. That was 35 years ago. So it's not a question of whether he himself is going to not either be in office or not be in office. This is a larger tradition. And how do we fight white supremacy, no matter what color we are? I'm concerned about the quality of his soul in life after he leaves. This is what First Baptist uh, brothers and sisters in Capeville are concerned about. He doesn't have to remain locked into this racist perception. He can do a whole host of things that can mm. show the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer mean something to him, that the legacy of Ann Braden means something to him. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little disturbed, my brother, about these, these liberal centrist Democrats who can trash his brother so easily when they just supported him a few months ago. Mm. I see Brother Bernie Sanders supported his progressive candidate, right? The same person they're trashing, they support it. Well, where's the principle? Where's morality? Where's integrity? Where's an acknowledgement that white supremacy is shot through all of us, including black people? That's how so, deep it cuts in this nation. And who's going to fight for it? How are you going to fight for it? That's what we need to talk about as much as just trashing his brother and kicking him when he's down. Whites, brown, a whole host of people ought to be just as morally outraged as black people. The same is true with black people and other people are trashed in this regard. Jews in France, Palestinians on, 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 under occupation. T Tibet, it's a moral, spiritual issue. We, we, we dumb down the whole discussion if it's just a matter of liberal self-righteousness in the name of black people being offended, trashing this white brother. White supremacy must be hated. White supremacy must be trashed. But the question is, how do we attempt to engage in efforts collectively and individually together? None of us escape white supremacy, male supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim. All of these vicious evils are shot through us. And if we can't ascend to the moral and spiritual level, this is the legacy of Martin King. This is the legacy of John Coltrane. This is the legacy of Nina Simone. How do we keep that legacy alive? And thank God that we have some kind of context in which we can go beyond just this ugly name calling and finger pointing because all of us in the end are fallen. All mm. of us in the end are in some sense sinners. And if you're going to do away with all the racist elements and sensibilities, you're not going to have too many people in Congress. You're not going to have too many people on Wall Street. You're not going to have too many people on television. I, uh, I wanted to kind of show that video because, um, let me see some of y'all questions. Number someone uh, covered. If you guys have any questions, let me know. But um, the reason that I wanted to show y'all th that video, because to me, I felt it was kind of mirroring what I was saying uh, the other day when I was talking about, um, I was kind of comparing uh, Nancy, uh, I mean, uh, Tulsi Gabbard to, um, to Ralph Northam. And I think he said it well, like, People can grow and people do grow and we have to allow people to grow and we have to acknowledge their growth. And that's a great thing. And, and bravo to you. Like everyone grows. We all grow. I'm not the same tie um, that I was when I was 20. You know, growth is inevitable. I, hopefully it's inevitable. If you don't grow, you know, God bless. Something's wrong with you. But that doesn't mean you need to stay in office to grow. I think what, one of the issues with, Nor with Northam was it was almost pretentious in his approach saying, I can take the easy way out if I were to step down, but I want to do the hard work by staying here and then being, no, come on, man. Are we stupid? Do you really? Uh, you know, and, and, and so before his, you know, and everyone says this, and I think, I think there's some truth to it, like before he actually um, started, I mean, had his press conference there. He almost probably could have dealt with this and got and, and, and somehow worked through this. If he were to kind of do what he did the night before by saying, this is me taking, you know, complete like accountability and saying, hey, I've grown. This is in 1984, you know, and even in 1984 wasn't right. But I was still 
ignorant, doing some dumb stuff, and I did it, and I regret it, and I apologize. And, you know, if, if that would have happened, then, you know, we probably would be having a completely different conversation. But you look at that, and you look at the fact, like I said earlier, about, you know, when they had the sample uh, ballot in, in, in Virginia, how he did not have his lieutenant governor on there who is black. You know, that, that all says something, and you, and you have to look at those Look at, at those things because those, you know, your actions mean something. Policy means something. Um, and you can change and grow and not be in office. And that's the argument I was saying about Tulsi Gabbard. Like, yes, you had those views and you can grow and you were voted into office. But being voted into office in a district is different from being voted into office on a national stage. Being voted in, to be voted into the presidency of the United States. Um, there's a lot more opinions of your actions. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot more opinions. There's a lot more you have to do. And there's a lot more you have to, you know, a lot more people you're accountable to now. So, and they're going to judge you based on that. And that's just the reality. So that's kind of what I was, what I was trying to say when I was comparing the two, like, you know, you have to face the consequences of those actions. And they're deplorable, you know, either way you look at it. it, it was, it it's something that by Tulsi Gabbard that, you know, it, you know, there's a difference between, I don't know, I don't know. I guess it's probably difficult to differentiate the two from saying something isn't right in God's eyes, but they're still human and we still love them versus like, no, you ain't nothing, uh, you're trying to go against us. You know, she had a whole lot of rhetoric and kind of belittling uh, the LBGT community. And to me, it just, it didn't fly well. Um, and I'm super sensitive to that, obviously, because I'm black and I understand those tactics and, and, and how those tactics were used to justify, you know, black codes and Jim Crow and segregation. You know, they would the Bible would be used to then justify that Oh, being unevenly yoked, like I said, means that we shouldn't be together. And so to propagate this ideology of white supremacy and those the same ideas based on these Christian that's supposed to be bringing people together, dividing people, um, ideologies, you know, and you have to you have to live with that. You have to live with that. You grow from that, you know, and I think that he'll be better outside of the office because like he like like. Um, like you said, he can't, you can't govern. There's too many distractions. If it's about the Commonwealth of Virginia, then you should step down because the Commonwealth thinks you're a distraction right now. It's also ramming a pipeline. I think he's, he, he was putting a pipeline through like a sacred um, historical ground where slaves were buried. Yeah, it's a, a pipeline compression station in the historical Black Union Hill where freed slaves were buried and Black seniors lived. So that tells you right there he was he was actually actually he was putting a pipeline that was um one of the article let me see if i can grab that right quick because it's it was something that jordan sent me earlier i completely forgot about that to right now so yeah let's check this video out by jordan and this goes to show you like his policy like it's a difference like when you say yeah i've changed i've grown i've you know i'm different now but if your policy shows something else then how do you, I don't, I don't get how do you justify the two. Hey, it's Jordan. I am here at Union, uh, Union Hill Baptist Church. I'm here with uh, John Wesley Laurie, and uh, you've lived here in Buckingham County, right next to the church, on and off most of your life. Um, we don't know for sure because court records were destroyed, but uh, we believe your grandsister, or your grandfather, uh, uh, was a freedman, uh, or a, a descendant. Yeah. And, um, you're right in the radius of this compressor station. It's pretty much in your backyard. Um, can you kind of talk about just, you know, your journey? We were talking earlier, you kind of were hoping your golden years would be peaceful out here. And now they're trying to dump a giant, massive, uh, chemical <laughs> contaminating compressor station. 
Yes. Uh, I was hoping that, uh, which is still, I believe it'll go away. But we don't need it, need this polluter in our neighborhood. We don't need this polluter anywhere in the world, to be honest about it, because we do have alternate energy. And to pollute and plunder the earth for profit gain this way. It's just ungodly. 600 miles. 42 inch pipeline. Enormous. How beautiful water she is. We don't and when and sad part about it all is Dominion ACP cannot guarantee uh, there will not be any leaks. As a matter of fact, they don't guarantee anything. Well, all pipelines leak. It's not really a matter of if; it's just when it happens. Exactly. And. What we are looking at, what we are facing, when it leaks, then our water is automatically contaminated. Water is life. And we depend on underground water source for humans as well as our animals. I'm a farmer as well. I raise cattle, and we have several creeks on the property, and we use a well system for our water for our home. As a matter of fact, all the people in the area, all our neighbors, same way. So when our water, underground water source become contaminated, then we have no other source. What are we to do? This proposed compressor station, we know it will pollute the air. We, the majority of the inhabitants here are seniors. We are dealing with health issues. I wanted to get through that, but he is moving slow. I mean, what, what, Jordan, what Jordan was having a discussion um, discussion with, with him about was the pipeline and, and where, it's, where it's going through and, and how it's actually going right where, you know, freed slaves have, are buried and where senior citizens are living right now. And so this is something that, um, uh, something that was pushed forward by Ralph Northam. Um, and I, and it, there was at one point where, you know, people, I, I guess in the state legislation, they voted against it and some, you know, Jordan can explain it more, but what Northam ended up doing was firing two people that went against it. So then replacing them so that it can pass. And it's, it, it, it's bizarre. And he, he read that he, uh, brought, brought it up before and, um, and you guys probably saw it in earlier videos right now. this video is just. That guy is talking like he has all day. <laughs> and yeah, so we, we, we're not going to just watch through that whole thing. But, you know, actions speak louder than words. And your words uh, have no weight. It has, it has no relevance if your actions is counter to that. If, it's, if your actions is in conflict <clears throat> with your words, people aren't stupid. You know what I mean? There's too much information out there. There's too many cameras around. There's too many people talking for us to not really get the truth. And sometimes when you got old, older people that's, that's used to <clears throat> doing politics in an old-fashioned, they for some reason just are not grabbing a hold of the fact that it's 2019 and you just can't say shit. 
You just can't. Like it's too like you. There's not three stations that control the information anymore. And someone will have a camera, and someone will speak to someone, and someone it will get out. So do yourself a favor and get over the stinking thinking of old politics. Thinking I can I can like Hillary. Clinton said, I can have one public persona and then a private persona. Because those type of things is what gets people like Donald Trump into office. Because Donald Trump, his disposition expresses a sense of just transparency. I'm saying exactly what's going on because it's just so irate and absurd things he say. It seems genuine, like this guy's at least speaking his mind and he's not lying. And so when you have someone like that, people gravitate to that because they're, they're so sick and tired of politicians lying. Politicians having a public persona and a private persona. You know what I mean? They're promising one thing and getting office and doing another. They're sick and tired of that. And there's too much information that allows us to see it. It exposes it. And, and, and now people... People don't they don't have a, they don't, they don't have an inch of consideration for it. And they shouldn't have because your politicians shouldn't be lying to the t- constituents. And so until they, you know, until they get rid of that old thinking, then they're going to be in the same box. And hopefully they understand, you know, the situation that they're in. I feel that the reason that he does not get it is because we don't people shy away from racism, shy away from the topic of it, and they wonder why when it's addressed and things happen that people get so upset. It's because you don't understand the effects of it. Like Ralph Northam doesn't understand the deep-rooted emotions that come with blackface, the deep-rooted emotions that come with the KKK. You know what I'm saying? We still hold it. We haven't forgot that. You know, if, if you if you joked around and, and, and was wearing or, you know, what like what um, Roseanne did when she had the outfit on as a Nazi and then had the, 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 the little cakes uh, or the cookies that was made up of, of like people, which was insinuating Jewish people in the oven. Like those things are deep rooted. People died. You know, people were enslaved. And sometimes <clears throat> people may not even understand what they're doing. And I think the fact that they don't understand it is because we don't address it. We don't talk about it. The more we address something, the better way we can approach it and understand it and empathize with it more. You know what I mean? It's the understanding. It's the misunderstanding is the reason why we're always having these large conflicts and clashes when it comes to racism because no one wants to talk about it. We just want to sweep it under the rug. No matter how much you sweep dirt under the rug, it's just going to build up into a pile. And you need to address that pile of dirt. You have to. And that's talking about it. That's crying. That's being emotional. That's yelling. But you have to address it. Because it really, it, it seems like, on face value, it seems like he really didn't, almost didn't, he don't really get what he said. He don't, and, and I think he don't get it because we don't speak on it. And I'm going to just read it, and then I'm going to read a tweet that I tweeted out because I think it just goes to what I'm saying. So, Liam Nielsen recalls wanting to kill a black bastard after a friend was raped. Actor Liam Neeson recently told The Independent that after someone close to him was raped, he was looking for a black bastard to kill. Neeson said during an interview to promote his new film Cold Pursuit that when he learned of the sexual assault, he asked for details about the attacker and learned he was black. The actor then stated, I went up and down areas with a kosh, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that, and I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. Neeson further commented, It was horrible, horrible when I think back that I did that, and I've never admitted that. It's awful. You guys get the gif, so um, you've seen it. And um, I don't need to read it because it kind of explained everything, and I know you guys heard the story. So if you think about what he said, he's, he, he's, you know, he's telling a story. He's, he's being candid and saying, you know, I was looking for any <clears throat> black bastard uh, that I can kill. And, and, and he had... Um, I don't know. I forgot the name of it, but what it is, it's like one of the things that uh, an, an 
like the leads to orchestra, that little stick. I guess it has a sharp point and you can kill somebody with it. He had that in his hand and he was going to kill any black bastard that he saw. And he said he felt bad about it and, oh, my shoulder's killing me. He felt bad about it and he can't even, he, he's like amazed that he even thought that. And I mean, genuinely, if you look at it at face value, just like, oh yeah, he's telling the story. He seems like what he was saying is, this is how I felt. And now I feel bad, but I think what he's missing, what he's not understanding, is kind of what I tweeted. And I want to um, uh, kind of put out, uh, say my tweet. I think one of the biggest problems we face in America is racism. We have never got over racism because we have never dealt with racism. No one wants to talk about it. And it's because of that we have these anti-hero type stories about wanting to kill a black bastard that I saw and trying to see it, see, see it in the sense of revenge instead of targeted racism. Any black bastard walking down the street didn't kill your friend, didn't, didn't kill his friend. One bastard that happened to be black did a horrific thing to his friend. It would be a different story if he said, I was looking for any male bastard, at least. Then we could say, okay, maybe it was too general of a spectrum, but at least he, he is saying all men seem, you know, the, the hate seem equal uh, due to the horrific rape. And the fact that you're uncomfortable with calling it racism, calling racism honor, then you don't know the legacy of Emmett Till Liam Neeson, and you don't appreciate the legacy of slavery and racism in this country. This is a moral issue, and you shouldn't and you shouldn't have to be black to call hate hate. So, obviously, I read that all crazy and messed up. But uh, the gist of what I was saying is this: it would have been a different story if. When he said, I want to kill any bastard, any male bastard. You know what I mean? But you're saying, what, what, when, the insinuation is, I'm going to kill any black person. As, as if this is, you know, this is a, a, a revenge on black people. You know, a man raped your, your, your girl or your friend. It was a male that happened to be black. You know what I'm saying? When you say... It's, I'm about to go kill this black bastard. You're calling, it's the black, black people. Like any black person now has to take the brunt of what this one person did, which means you're putting everyone in a group instead of looking at this asshole did a horrific thing, this bastard, and now I want to kill any bastard on the street. You're saying this black bastard, like almost insinuating black people, this is what they do. You know what I mean? It, kinda, it has that spirit. And if you don't understand that, you don't get that, then that's where you're missing the point. And I think the reason that you don't get it and really understand why, he probably wondered why are people saying I'm racist? I'm telling a story of how I grew and, and how horrific this story is. And I can't believe that I was thinking it. But also you got to call it what it is. It's not being heroic. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, 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 it's white supremacy. And you're using that rape to justify targeting black people and saying, oh, black people do this. So it's black. If it was a white person, you wouldn't say, oh, Iris, I don't believe that. You would just probably want to kill anybody. I just wanted to kill any man on the streets. Probably what you would have said. Any Irish man, any Italian. No. And that's disingenuine. But obviously he's trying to cover up because it's his job and, you know, that's what people do. And whatever, it's understandable. People want to save their job. I get it. But if you can't call it what it is, then you're missing the point. You're missing the boat. And that's, I think that's the bigger thing is understanding why he's not. Because it's, and, and everyone is apologizing to black people like, like, yes, we get it. It's black people. You're targeting black people. But everyone should be outraged. I shouldn't have to be black to be outraged of racism. 
I shouldn't have to be gay to be outraged of seeing somebody being beat and having bleach poured on them and a rope tied around their neck because they're, 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 they're homosexual. I, I don't have to be homosexual to think that that's hate and hate that. I shouldn't, you know, the, the perpetrator or whoever shouldn't just be a pilot. It should be an American issue as Americans, as people. We shouldn't take it. Everyone should be offended. Yes, black people are offended, but everyone should be offended. And that's the issue. And the reason why people are not offended is because we don't talk about it. We don't address it. We sweep it under the rug and then nothing happens. And all of a sudden, um, Ralph Northam is apologizing to black people. His college is apologizing to black people. Neil, uh, Liam Nielsen is apologizing to black people and thinking that this is a black issue when it should be a people issue. It's a people issue. And this is exactly in the spirit of what um, Carnell West was saying. This is a moral issue. This is our issue. And when it becomes our issue and not their issue, then we can start doing some shit and moving forward. You know what I mean? Allies, yeah. Yes, this is our issue. Our issue. When you talk about black people, it offends me. And when you talk about gay people, it offends me as much as it offends a gay person. Because he's obviously, it probably offended them more because I'm not gay. Obviously, I, I, I acknowledge that the, the hurt that they feel, it, 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 it's, you know, certain things that you have to be a part of to really get that. Like, it's certain, you just can't feel the hurt that racism, that's something that happened, that still, that, that we still feel the residue of, but that happened, you know, that was supposedly quote-unquote eradicated you know a little over 100 years ago still affects us now like it's like you really have to and I get that but at the same time everyone should be offended by that and I think that's our that's a huge issue if it stop if offense stop becoming you know a a a a a group thing and instead of a us thing then maybe we can move forward Everyone should be offended by seeing that blackface. He should just be apologizing to black. Yes, you can apologize to black people, but you should be apologizing to people, to America, to Virginia, to the world. Yes, you want to kill a black person. You should be apologizing to the world. That's offensive. Should be offensive to everyone. Everyone should be offended. And I, I think, you know, that's where we need to get. Top Nancy Pelosi aide privately tells insurance executives not to worry about Democrats pushing Medicare for all. This is by Ryan Grimm. I love Ryan Grimm. I worked with him a few times when I was at the Intex. I think he's great. Um, yeah, Kamala Harris. This kind of goes to what Jordan was talking about with Kamala Harris, how the next day she was like, oh, she kind of just Flipped the script and said, oh, uh, no, you know, we don't have to eliminate. If, a, if having Medicare for all means eliminate, you know, people being able to privately pick their um, doctors, initially she was like, yeah, well, then it needs to be eradicated because it's not working. Next day she flips the script. No. No, I mean, we'll work it out. We don't have to eradicate it. You know, if, 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 it, if it calls for letting it go after everyone got at it. So this kind of goes to that point. Less than a month after Democrats, many of them on running on many of them running on Medicare for all, won control of the House of Representatives in November. The top health policies policy aides to then prospective House House Speaker Nancy Pelosi met with the Blue Cross Shield executives and assured them that the party leadership had strong reservations about the single payer health care and was more focused on lowering drug prices, according to sources familiar with the meeting. Pelosi advisor Wendell Premise detailed five objections to Medicare for All and said that the Democrats would be allies to insurance industry in the fight against single-payer health care. Wow. Premise pitched to ensure on supporters on supporting Democrats on efforts to shrink drug prices specifically by backing a number of measures that pharmaceutical lobbyists lobby is opposing premise in a side presentation obtained by the intercept criticized single payer on the basis of of cost 
opposition and implications, implementation challenges. We have recreated the side of sources protection purposes. Democrats said, okay, Democrats premise said, are united around the concept of universal coverage, but see strengthening the Affordable Care Act as the means to the end. He made a presentation to the Blue Cross executives on December 4th. We don't discuss private meetings. If there was such a meeting, said a BCBS spokesman. Premise said that he did not discuss any kind of deal with the insurers. Henry Connolly, a spokesman for Pelosi, said that the assessment of single pair was not related to any deal making with the with the industry. We're not going to barter lower prescription drug costs for inaction in the rest of the healthcare industry. The presentation was a broad look at healthcare environment and some of the House Democrats' legislative priorities over the next two years in a period of the GOP control of the Senate and the White House. So what it's so as we see, Democrats doing what Democrats do. This goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Having a public perception and a private uh, a private um, perception of uh, our persona, a public persona and a private persona. In public, they're for Medicare. They're for Medicare for all. You know, you don't really hear people talking about single payer, but they're for Medicare for all. And now they're saying, no, we don't want it. We just want to make the ACA better, which it was something that they were talking about about two years ago when um, uh, Trump was trying to get rid of ACA. It was like, no, why don't we make it better? And now you can see this is what they were talking about, reassuring the, in the uh, insurance industry that we're not going for it. And you're going to see it. This is, all, this is all true. This is all something that you will see happen. You will see Democrats backing down on Medicare for all. Out of all the people that, that is for Medicare for All right now, the people in the running, I think it's seven, I think six out of seven, or seven out of seven are all for Medicare for All right now. And you'll see the dichotomy once everything starts to roll out.